I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood and human veins. Langston Hughes. Welcome to Warfare Advancement Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. So, this week, uh, we have a kind of finale to our discussion about the Horn of Africa and the peoples kind of living in that area. But before we get to that, I do want to thank everyone for listening and who has been listening and continues to listen, as well as any newcomers that may be joining us with this episode. Now, this is the second episode I've recorded today. I've put up, um, I've already recorded a bonus episode, uh, my long-promised review of the movie Alpha, uh, and I know it's been a probably two weeks since I tried to have that up initially. I wanted it out on Memorial Day, but unfortunately, due to travel issues uh, with my car uh, and a number of things coming up at my day job, um, I just have not had time to do normal life stuff and sit down and record it. Uh, However, due to me not doing anything this weekend, I actually have time to set aside and do some in-depth recording for that episode, and then I'm now recording this one. And that bonus episode ended up being a lot longer than I had planned, uh, almost 45 minutes long. Um, So I have gone ahead and have that scheduled to upload uh, this afternoon, which is uh, Sunday, June the 12th. Uh, Should come up sometime around 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the U.S., and this one will come out at its regular time on Monday mornings. But that said, uh, again, thank you all for listening. Please enjoy. And now we're going to get into the meat of this episode. So, again, we're shifting away from the Horn of Africa, and we're going to be moving into what is Northern Africa. And to do that, we need to focus on the ancestors of um, the Nilotic peoples. And then we will cover ancestors of the other uh, Nilo-Saharan language speakers. Although... um, as you might guess um, from the name, uh, Nilotic peoples, uh, they are from the Nile River. Uh, and they're considered to be the indigenous people of that, of that area. And today, these peoples are found in South Sudan, along the White Nile, as well as around Lake Victoria and the western banks of Lake Turkana. And they can be found all the way south of the Great Rift Valley. Of course, at around 10,000 BC, we're not sure of their exact numbers or distribution, but at the very least, they're they're somewhere in the White Nile uh, Valley where after it leaves Lake Victoria, of course. And this may be a little bit of a difficult kind of area to focus on because at this point in time, they may not be all that separate in terms of peoples. There may only be a few handfuls of groups, you know, a couple hundred strong apiece. Uh, And again, they may not even be around Lake Turkana at this point. We may be well outside of the Horn of Africa entirely. Uh, But that said, I think just due to where they're located, it's going to be a little hard to focus on them at any other time, at least until they, of course have more identifiable modern groups, or at least ancestors of modern groups. Uh, But that's it. I do think they deserve, you know, study and recognition. So, um, these people are, of course, like all 
humans at this point in time, hunter-gatherers. There are located somewhere along, along the Nile Valley. Now, obviously, that covers a very wide range for them to be living in. We, of course, do not know where exactly in the Nile Valley they originated, but that kind of distribution leads into another problem when discussing these people. Uh, I know that I've mentioned that they're called Nilotic. Uh, that is a group of several peoples. Um, they're not speaking Nilotic at this point. They are probably speaking a proto version of Eastern Sudanic, uh, which is itself part of um, the Nilo-Saharan language family. And this brings us into another problem when discussing this area and these peoples. Uh, Nilo-Saharan is a kind of a large language family that was proposed by Joseph Greenberg in his Languages of Africa, or Language Families of Africa. Um, excuse me, the Languages of Africa is his paper. It's kind of the, the milestone, the touchstone of African language studies for a long time. And there's a lot of very good stuff in that, and a lot of people will respect that work. It's the one that kind of uh, laid out uh, the Afro-Asiatic distinction, the Niger-Congo distinction, Khoisan, and uh, of course Austronesian for Madagascar, which is way in the future. We'll get to that much later. Uh, but Nilo-Saharan is uh, the least, I guess you could call it, verified or kind of fleshed out of those families. Um, a lot of people can, you know, said that basically Greenberg just dumped everything that didn't neatly fit into one of those others, kind of into this kind of large, widespread group. Um, and he also argued that this was a genetic family, uh, so that in addition to being related linguistically, all these people were related, related ethnically as well. Um, now, since that time, people have kind of dug into these languages, they've tested those theories, kind of uh, pruned and trimmed the trees, rearranged certain families into a different branch, or just put them out altogether, or brought them back in. There's been a lot of work on this, and there are still a lot of in-depth studies. Uh, people keep going back and forth on this. Um, some of the bigger names um, are Blinch, uh, I believe uh, Star, uh, Star Austin is another. Um, then you have Dimidol. So you've got, you've got a lot of groups uh, and researchers going back and forth on this, and they're kind of in and out of who belongs where. Uh, it's a very complicated study, and I do not understand a lot of the, the linguistic parts of it other than, you know, just kind of them specifically mentioning groups and talking about stuff that they have in common, both uh, ethnically and historically speaking. The reason I'm mentioning all this is just to say I'm going to get some of this wrong. And I'm going to get some of this wrong probably several times, uh, just as the people who are still studying this have gotten stuff wrong. And I know that eventually they're going to come out with a much more concise and updated version. And that's, you know, that's part of academics that's part of studying this stuff so you you test theories you kind of bounce them off each other you 
you just dive into it. So that's what I'm going to do here. I'm just going to dive into a general kind of outline of what is probably going on at this point in time. Um, and again, this is probably going to be proven wrong. They're probably going to come out with, with a study in a couple of years saying, oh yeah, no, all these people, these people are genetically related to these people and not these people. <clears throat> so yeah, no, it's going to completely throw everything I say into kind of flux and probably, again, just being flat out wrong. But I do kind of want to give a reasonable narrative based on what I have learned, you know, as of now. So just bear in mind that this is going to be just a little bit of me guessing uh, for a lot of this stuff. So Nilotic peoples, again, these are all over those areas along the, the White Nile, the Lake Victoria, all the way south through the Great Rift and along Lake Turkana. These people are, in modern day, typically speaking, the opposite of pygmies, at least in terms when it comes to physiology. They, as a group, are taller on average than any other ethnic group in the world. I think um, the average height for their men is like six, I want to say it's like six five. Uh, and their women, it is, I think it's like six feet even. So they're a very tall group as a whole. Obviously, there are differences. Some people will be quite tall, quite low. Dikembe Matambo, NBA Hall of Famer. Uh, he is, of course, uh, from one of these ethnic groups. Uh, he's, he's quite tall as well. And, of course, they do have uh, typically much darker skin than even the rest of Africa. Uh, some people have referred to them as burnt skin in historical records. Obviously that is not, you know, something I would use to describe them, but that is how some people have described them historically speaking, uh, especially in the Roman period when we get to kind of Greek and Roman period when we get to those writers and those uh, explorers and people talking about that kind of group. Um, the Maasai, uh, are descendants of this group. Uh, they're, of course, the most famous, probably East African group. Uh, they wear those very bright, colorful red and blue uh, robes and uh, tunics. Uh, they are some of the greatest hunters in the area, even into this day. Uh, and their language is eventually going to be kind of the trade language for this region. Uh, it's going to be used by a lot of groups. Uh, but again, that's that's all in the future. So, and they're going to, this group's kind of going to stay together for a little while. I don't think they kind of start spreading apart and developing individual identities and languages uh, for another several thousand years. Uh, I think around, excuse me, excuse me, around 3000 BC or so. Um, but uh, they are kind of in... A very, they're in a very unique position in Africa. Um, we've talked about how the Khoisan were so isolated from everyone else. How the uh, people in the Congo, Central Africans, are isolated from everyone else. How the West Africans are, for the most part, isolated, at least at this point in time. Um, 
I don't think this is going to be as true of the people living along the valley, uh, the Nile Valley. The, Ni- the Nilotic peoples, they are kind of going to be a mixing pot comparatively to other African cultures, at least for the first few thousand years of kind of more recorded history. They are going to share borders uh, or more navigable borders with their neighbors um, or I guess different groups. They are going to be able to interact with um, the uh, Cushitic speakers to their uh, east. They are going to be able to interact with the kind of the outskirts of uh, first the Central Africans and then the the West Africans who begin to migrate out of there into Central Africa, and even still parts of uh, the Khoi peoples. And eventually the peoples to their north are going to interact with as well the Proto-Egyptians who we will get to. And even their cousins, at least linguistically speaking, if the Nilo-Saharan family holds true, they're going to be interacting with their cousins in the Sahara. Uh, so they are going to have a lot of, you know, they're going to be very important to this region for a number of reasons, uh, both for travel, trade, uh, as guides, and even as a kind of a means of tr- uh, transporting or communicating various knowledges between these two groups. Um, So it allows them to kind of remain separate. It allows them to develop their own identities um, without being subsumed by these big cultures. Their knowledge of the area is going to be extremely important. Um, And while, you know, they are kind of hemmed in by these other groups, they are kind of a good balance between the groups. They are kind of able to, I guess, not necessarily play these these outsiders off of each other, but they make themselves very important as middlemen. Um, and that that sounds that sounds a little derogatory. If I, you know, to some it might seem that way, but no, I mean that with the the most respect. And you know, it, it's it's a, such a valuable place that they have in uh, history, in Africa, in the history of Africa, uh, in the history of the world. They are going to be extremely important. Uh, They are kind of, they're the catalyst for the melting pot that is Eastern Africa. Um, So yeah, I, I don't want to think that I'm downplaying their role or that I consider them kind of, you know, less important. No, these people their importance cannot be overstated. Um, And we'll get to that. These people are going to be probably the first pastoralists of Africa. They're the ones that are going to kind of introduce pastoralism to a lot of their neighbors. Um, And uh, they were going to be the most successful pastoralists. Uh, In fact, some of the the first conflicts we'll get to in this continent are going to be between uh, the emerging pastoralists and the emerging... um, agriculturalists of West Africa. Um, Although, I guess it would be more the people who picked up pastoralism from the uh, Nilotic peoples are going to run into the agriculturalists expanding eastward from West Africa. But again, that's in the future. Um, 
you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in more detail much later. Now, uh, these people, their ethnic faiths have held on much better than uh, the Omanic uh, peoples, um, or the, you know, the people uh, in kind of the Horn of Africa area where they have been very much Christianized and uh, Islamized uh, uh, in terms of religious studies. Um, the Dinka religion is kind of the, a modern branch that has kind of come through all that. Um, Christianity is very is is kind of in the more south southern part of uh, Sudan these days, and these peoples they have had I think a little bit more inroads with Christianity more recently, uh, but there were some Arabic influences as well. Uh, but there are those that still practice traditional uh, faiths. Um, the Dinka religion, for one, uh, is is probably the, the best known, at least outside of Africa. Um, and, it, you know, again, we kind of run into some of the, the more traditional, I guess, Southern African beliefs. There's a little bit of overlap. There is a supreme creator god. Uh, he's the god of the sky and the rain and kind of the ruler of all the spirits. And he he is kind of... Uh, he's much more hands-on, at least from what has come through um, to modern stories. Um, uh, the, the supreme god of the Dinka religion is Nihalik. I, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. If not, I'm butchering it. <laughs> it's kind of how it works. Um he is very much in control of the destiny of the world and the animal. Like, basically every, everything. He, he can kind of put them on whatever path he wants, basically. He's much more hands-on than, say, um, the Koi uh, or the San deities. Um, he is also known by other names, depending on the group. Uh, Diokin is another group. Yuang. Uh, I think uh, another name is uh, Jaak is another name that uh, kind of um, that is used for him depending on the group. He is not a demiurge. He creates existence from nothingness. He is not someone that is found material from another source and then uses that to fashion the world anew um, the way. Um, you know, the San deity, you know, he created the world while everyone was living underground in the, in the first world. Uh, this is, basically everything is coming from him. Now, whether or not that's the case at the beginning of this kind of uh, faith, or if this is something that kind of got incorporated once they began interacting with, um, say, Islam or Christianity, I don't know. That's something I'm going to have to dig into. Thankfully, there are a lot of sources on the Dinka religion, um, and I'll get into that again when we kind of get into more um, to more uh, substantial studies on these people, when we, we actually identify kind of the groups that this, uh, this religion kind of orig originates with. Um, but that said, so yes, uh, there is a traditional aspect. African faith among these people. It is something that has been continuously practiced since for quite a while. Uh, and it is something, you know, 
traditional, or at least has very old traditional elements in it. It's not just something that is aping Christianity or Islam, though there may be some incorporation uh, from those outside groups maybe to compete against them. Again, when we, when we get back to this area in the future, when there are more uh, concrete sources to go on, I'll dive further into this religion because, thankfully, there are a lot of sources on it. Uh, so, yes, the Nilotic peoples, they are very important for the transmission of knowledge between different groups. Uh, they are going to be basically the, the only peoples that really navigate the Nile Valley and it's kind of get to its source for quite a while, or at least allow to travel through those sources. Of course, the Europeans, this was a very big deal. They find the source of the Nile, but the Nilotic peoples, they have been in and around this area for basically all of existence or, you know, give or take. And they're, they're the people they are going to kind of guide the Europeans through here when we get to the Age of Discovery and uh, the Victorian era. Um, but they were probably helping Arab tra uh, traders through the area uh, as well as uh, other groups. So, um, I think that's a good place to stop for now. Um, the Nilotic people, again, they have a very large range today. Um, they may have been not even Nilotic at this point. They may still be an Eastern Sudanic language group. They may have been like an even larger group than there is now. Uh, that is up for debate. Uh, when we return for next week, though, we are going to kind of um, continue uh, to move to the north, uh, kind of to the northwest from here, uh, not along the Nile, but more out into what is now a desert, but uh, at the time was probably a little bit more grassland uh, focused, uh, and probably getting around to the area of Lake Chad a little before we kind of continue on and out of Africa. So, uh, when we do that, that will be next Sunday. That's the 19th. And then we'll have one more full episode on June the 26th. Now, after that, we'll have uh, July the 4th is that weekend or that Monday. So, there will not be an episode on July the 3rd. Uh, I will return that following uh, Sunday at the 10th. So, uh, yeah look forward to doing those next two episodes and I'm going to try and have us out of or cover most of the pertinent information in Africa at 10,000 BC uh, basically at the end of June and then we'll be moving into Southwest Asia, the Arabian Peninsula that kind of area and then we'll continue on from there. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're eventually going to get to the kind of the beginnings of pastoralism and then agriculture uh, in those areas um, and the more, I guess, permanent settlements, you'd call it. Uh, but yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode and is going to continue to listen. Thank you all so much for your support and those that do provide regular feedback. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like to provide feedback, 
please feel free. You can contact me at my email, which is waradrevpod at gmail.com. You can also reach me uh, via direct message on Twitter. Uh, I will uh, respond there, and I will post the link in the episode description uh, if you would like to follow there. Again, thank you, everyone. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.